you still have a lot of things to learn no matter what role you're in. So applying a problem-solving skill set to business is still a way to use what you've learned in school in a different application. So finally, once I got that into my head and said, hey, this is something I really want to try, started going after consulting firms, but you're not going to get McKinsey on the first try. You're not going to break into that big world on the first try. Welcome to It's a Material World, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world with your hosts, David Ye and Puneet Upadhyay. Before we get into the episode, we have a free MSc company database categorized by industry sector, location, as well as internship and full-time titles, so you can find that link in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's get started. Meta Material Inc. is a developer of high-performance functional materials and nanocomposites. Meta delivers previously unachievable performance across a range of applications by inventing, designing, developing, and manufacturing sustainable, highly functional materials. Meta is a fast-growing company with a positive and committed work culture and a phenomenally talented workforce. Our employees are inspired to do exceptional and innovative work and are proud to contribute to the success of the company, and they are our greatest asset. Meta attracts people from all countries and cultures with over 35 spoken languages represented across all our teams. Meta believes that diversity drives creativity and innovation. With locations in Canada, the United States, the UK, and Greece, Meta is growing and is looking for new talented people to join the team. If you're passionate about doing your best work, making a difference, and having fun while doing it, apply to one of our open positions at metamaterial.com careers. Hey everyone, we're excited for today's episode as we'll be discussing a challenge many material science students and early career professionals face, transitioning from one industry to another as an MSc and exploring both traditional and non-traditional paths in a quest to figure out what you're truly passionate about. To cover this extensively, we are really happy to bring on our long-standing It's a Material World team member, Alexa, who's a master's student in MSc at Georgia Tech and has worn many hats for us while also having a ton of different research and industry experiences throughout her undergraduate and graduate career. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alexa. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Happy to be on. We're excited for this. Um, I, I was looking through your your LinkedIn profile, and obviously we've talked about your experiences over the past couple of years since we've started working together, and that transcends both research and industry over the past five years. So before we dive you know, deeper into each of them, can you just kind of highlight maybe some of the different universities and companies you've worked at each summer and your roles there as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely been a long journey to get where we are now, and we're still not even done with school. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. But yeah, pretty much my experience started in high school, kind of got into research, knew I always wanted to be in STEM, so got myself a job working at the local college doing, you know, just basic bio research, pretty much any job I could get. Didn't pay that well, but got into a lab setting, so it was really great. Then started college, obviously Georgia Tech, been here for now four and a half years. And in between that, got more research experience and more internships. So my first summer after tech, so my freshman summer, was spent up at Yale University in New Haven, doing research for them in nanorods and synthesizing carbon nanorods and gold nanorods. So a very unique experience as well, sitting within the field of material science that I was studying at school, but very different from the bio I'd done before. Next summer, my sophomore year, moved into 
industry experience working for a small company in Massachusetts called Carl Storz Endoscope and Division. So they're actually out of Germany, but they had an office in Massachusetts, very small manufacturing, kind of working in the plant setting. Summer after that, moved on to completely pivot away from that and worked for Nike doing um, product development. It was always a dream of mine working for Nike and seeing what I could do with materials there. So I was really happy to work for them as well. Unfortunately, it was remote, but still a really cool experience. Finally, last summer, I think we're finally there, <laughs> I had the opportunity to do some consulting work, pivoting a little bit into the business world. And I worked for EY doing technology consulting. So something kind of completely different than all the engineering experience I've done. But I think we'll talk about this a little bit later. That, that was actually a really cool opportunity for me and something that really helped me figure out, you know, what this long journey meant. So kind of a brief overview of all that. Well, maybe without getting too much in detail, you've jumped from place to place. What do you think the one main driving force to want to change is? And then over the course, maybe you can discuss more intensively on each stop about how that kind of plays a role in what you saw next for yourself. Yeah. So changing jobs was really pushing myself to find what I enjoyed about engineering. I think kind of everyone gets a very stereotypical definition of what STEM is, and that's research to PhD to, you know, this very rigid track. And I wanted to get on that track. I said, yep, I'm a STEM major. I'm an engineer. This is what I should be doing. But the more I did it, the more I realized, you know, that wasn't quite making me happy. And engineering's found in a lot of places that's not necessarily sitting in the lab or sitting in the manufacturing plant. So Driving me to those new opportunities was finding what engineering meant for me and what does my STEM career mean for me. And that's not the same as everyone else. PhD is a great track for some people, but for me, it was figuring out, you know, how do I balance the skills I have and what I enjoy in each of these positions to really make engineering what I want it to be. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss when they're starting out in their careers. And so I was fortunate to have opportunities to get me to that point. Yeah, I totally agree. I think over the last few years, I've felt similar to you, more of an interest in, in the business side of things. And I even had this brief stint, and I think David remembers this, but I was interested in consulting for a little bit. And he would give me these like random questions about, you know, guessing or like calculating how many golf balls fit in a plane. And <laughs> I think that was just interesting, right? It's just like you're, you're problem solving. And that's why some of these major consulting companies really seek out engineers is because of our problem solving experience. And so I just wanted to, I know we'll dive into this uh, in more detail later on, but you mentioned figuring out what engineering means to you. Is it that kind of problem solving ability and being able to kind of like really make an impact and see that impact at a company? Yeah, definitely. I think kind of my finding of consulting world was a really interesting opportunity to mesh basic problem solving, which any technical school, any engineering degree will give you, that's pretty much all you're trained to do is problem solve in a bunch of different ways. And then applying that to subject matter that interested me, which was more business-based concepts and figuring out how you can bring a business from the roots to a fully-fledged company. They're struggling. How do you fix that problem? And those same principles you learn in engineering apply, but you might not be using thermodynamics or transport to do that. But applying that same formula of almost the scientific method to business-based problems, you're truly helping companies move to their next step in their business. And those products and what they make are what help people. So if you can create that whole cycle in your head, you know, the things that you are problem solving on do have a great impact later on if you connect that full cycle. And so for me, that was 
you know, problem solving to help people is kind of the principle of engineering. It's what we're here for. But that doesn't have to be super literal as to saying I'm building a building or I'm curing cancer. It can be, you know, I'm helping this company who's doing this and making that impact. So kind of using that basic engineering idea in a different way, but still using, you know, the strengths of problem solving and communication and business knowledge in kind of a unique way. So that's what that meant for me. Yeah, Puneet, I'm, I'm disappointed in you. Where you're not guessing, you have to be an educated, rationalized. I said calculating. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no wonder it didn't pan out. <laughs> so maybe we start at the beginning here and uh, take a step back. But uh, I think something that is interesting that you did was an REU, or basically a research fellowship at Yale. And so maybe I think it would be very useful for people to know how that came about. And then, like we were talking about, how that step in your journey helped you decide about this is something that's great, but there's more out there. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, summer after freshman year, nobody really expects to have a big job. You don't really expect to get an industry opportunity. Why would you? We don't have the experience. Who's going to hire us? But something that's really interesting to get involved in that first year, even if you haven't done research, a lot of these research fellowship programs look for young people to kind of foster them into the fields of research and get you acclimated. This program was specifically interesting for me because they weren't looking for me to do active research. You're only there for three months. You're not writing a paper. You're not going to be, you know, massively contributing to this research. It's just there for you to run some experiments, get used to that setting and understand how it works. So I'd highly recommend for anyone to kind of if you're not getting that industry opportunity, which most people don't after their freshman year, look for the research world and look for other universities. I pretty much applied to a basic REU program and they match you with a school that has, you know, a discipline of your interest. So I said I was going for materials engineering. They matched me to a school that had a professor who was looking for a summer position and that happened to be at Yale. Could have been at University of Chicago or anywhere. There's tons of schools that run inside of this program, but I would highly recommend anyone who's, you know, looking into STEM or engineering to take that first step. It may not be the job of your dreams. Definitely wasn't for me, but, you know, you're getting some experience. So that's how that opportunity came about. In terms of my experience, I thought it was really cool to just actively be in that lab setting. I was playing with the equipment, touching it, seeing what, you know, a lab meeting looks like. I got to sit in that setting and see what do they talk about? What would this career look like? from five years down the line as a master's student, 10 years, a PhD, and 25 as, you know, the research lead. So I thought that was a cool, you know, watching that track play out and see what your life would look like if you followed that path. So for me, that didn't fit with what I could see my life doing. You know, people always ask you, where do you see yourself wearing in five years? Where do you see yourself sitting? And as I looked at those kind of positions, I said, me personally, I don't see that. But I felt like I was using my engineering experience. I was getting, you know, knowledge on things I'd use in my university later on. And I got to see just a different world that you wouldn't get to see otherwise. So I was really grateful for the opportunity. I also got to practice presentation skills. I presented my work at a big Northeastern conference. So I got to see how that plays out also. Works on your leadership, your communication skills. I got to pitch in front of a room that was just for my project. I would highly recommend people just to look for those programs, even if it's not, you know, exactly what you want to be doing. That's a stepping stone and you'll learn a lot from it. 
That's key. I think the the teamwork, the communication experiences that you gain along the way, as well as kind of those hands-on skills in the research lab, like regardless of what lab you're in, that that carries forward even in the industry setting as well. So I just wanted to ask uh, what encouraged you to apply to an RU and, you know, to scope out other schools versus kind of the path David and I followed where we applied to like the research scholarship program within Georgia Tech, you know, the school we attended. So what was the decision there? Yeah. So for me, I love Atlanta where Georgia Tech's located. I have loved, you know, everywhere I've lived. I'm from New York originally, moved to Georgia to come to school. And honestly, kind of the driving force for me looking elsewhere was I wanted to travel. I wanted to try somewhere different. I love Georgia Tech as a school, but, you know, I could see the next four years I was going to be here and hadn't really found a lab that I was super interested in at Tech, couldn't find, you know, that position for me. So I said, all right, well, let me try something at a completely different area, completely different place. Maybe when I come back to Tech, I'll find that research area that I really enjoy. And maybe not. There was part of me that didn't want to, you know, join the research option program and get trapped in that area as well. If it's something you're not positive you're interested in, those professors are really looking for someone who's going to carry with them one, two, three years down the line. And I wasn't positive that was what I wanted to be doing. So I hated to give them my time for only six months, decide to leave, force them to train someone else when I wasn't positive that was what I wanted to do. And so joining an REU program gives you kind of that crash course, really quick introduction to research without the commitment of, you know, letting down a lab. That's what that whole pro- program is meant for. So really, it was kind of my uncertainty that drove me to look <laughs> a short-term program. But, you know, that's okay. It worked out for me. And I was happy about that. And then before we kind of go into your next experience, do you have any final pieces of advice? Like at that point, that was your, you know, the summer after your freshman year. Do you have any advice for applicants, you know, who might not have a ton of research experience or experience already who are interested in REUs at at other schools and kind of, you know, how did that essay look or how did that application look where you were able to kind of convince that program or be able to kind of, you know, make an impact or or be able to kind of enter that research fellowship role? I would say don't discount anything that you're doing. Even as a freshman in university, you're taking classes that have very relevant experience. They're, you know, you're taking your introductory classes, but that's giving you a crash course in all of these different topics. And so if you're looking at your resume after your freshman year and saying, you know, it's blank, all I have is my university on there, Turn to your skills section, because I think if you really start to think about things that you've done, equipment you've worked with, you know, machines that you've touched or interacted with, you'll find a lot more things than you think. You may not have that work experience, but don't discount that skills section. I was surprisingly able to say, you know, I took MATLAB my freshman year. That was actually helpful. They used MATLAB (laughs) in the lab I worked in. You know, you never know what little class, little side project you did in high school or any of that is relevant. So when you don't have that experience, turn to that skills section and really try to fill that out with everything you know. And especially for those REUs, they look for that because they're looking to see what machines you've worked with, what software. That's exactly what I did, at least to get my first internship experiences. Oh, what are all these equipment that I touched and and that played a huge role in landing that internship. And so kind of going into your first industry internship experience, you interned as a quality engineer, at, you, you mentioned a smaller company, Carl Storrs Endovision, and that's a medical equipment manufacturer, I believe. And so 
I just wanted to ask, you know, how did that opportunity come, come to, come to be, you know, how did you even learn about that company and what did you learn about that engineering traditional experience as a whole? Yeah, definitely. How it came about was actually really interesting. I was going to the career fairs and at the time I kind of thought I wanted to be in the medical device space, medical manufacturing space. But as a now sophomore, going into the summer of your sophomore year, having one RU under my belt, you're still not the most appealing candidate, unfortunately. You still don't quite have, you know, everything they're looking for to move to industry. So how do you find that stepping stone to get you a toe in the door? when you're not going to land the big roles. So I still went to the career fair, showed up in person, you know, gave my pitch to all the med techs, went to Merck, Boston Scientific, you know, all the biggest ones you can think of. <laughs> Shout out to Boston Scientific for Penis. <laughs> but I wasn't getting any success. You know, I was handing them my resume and some of them just said apply online. Some of them kind of said, you might want to look elsewhere, you know, and it's kind of a rude awakening to hear that. But you know, you have to try to pivot and look for something else. So finally, I, I got the card of someone who was a recruiter at Boston Scientific. And they were one of the people who had told me, you know, you don't quite have the experience to work here. So I sent them an email afterwards, followed up and I said, Hi, I know I don't have the experience to work here. But you know, is there any other companies you can think of in the area? At the time, I wanted to work up in Massachusetts that would be interested in in hiring. And fortunately, the guy kind of gave me a list and he said, here's a site of, you know, small med tech manufacturers that might look to hire you, look for these positions and gave me kind of that stepping stone. So it was a list of companies that never came to the career fair, a list of companies that weren't in my local area, but it was a list to go off of and apply to everything. It was probably a list of like 50 companies that he probably pulled off a website somewhere and I applied to every single one. And eventually one's got to come back. So there's a little bit of persistence with that. And so I got fortunate to get an opportunity there. And it was during the summer of 2020, which a lot of people didn't work in person. But fortunately for me, it was a manufacturing role. So I had to be in the plant every day. So that was also unique that in a time when nobody was working in person, I got that experience to see the manufacturing site. The experience itself was great. I got to really be in that personalized setting. It's a small company. So my boss was pretty much the manager of quality. She was the lead. She was it. So all of my projects were directly relevant to, you know, quality improvement. I was able to participate in a Kaizen event, which is kind of a two-week sprint for leaning out the process, optimizing something. And because of that small setting, I was really able to use my skills and be very relevant to each project. So kind of don't discount those small companies as, you know, oh, the name doesn't mean anything. It's not about the name. At that point, it's about the experience you're getting. So each of the items on my resume is direct action. You know, I saved this many dollars. I contributed to this project. And so for me, that experience is great. And again, in that engineering realm, I'm looking at, you know, machines that are making things. So I still feel like an engineer and you're directly contributing to improvements. And so for that experience, a small company was a really great start for me that I really felt relevant in what I was doing. And the work I was doing was direct impact. I got to talk to the manufacturing workers and, you know, directly tell them what we were going to change. So that was a really unique experience. And I was really appreciative to that recruiter for giving me, uh, you know, all it took was a list. Didn't give me any names. All it took was a list of companies to get that started. Uh, saving a million dollars anywhere is saving a million dollars. When you break it down, if you hide the name, it really is about just the accomplishments. And so I, I also feel like I got my start at a smaller company too, which 
just builds upon it because it's almost like the minor leagues where like you kind of do your work, like you get something under you and you're able to go up to the bigger companies that now you have the experience. And so one thing that I personally experienced is that breaking into the manufacturing space is sometimes hard. And especially like the old adage, like, oh, we need experience. Well, I want experience and this is how I'm going to get in. So it's a chicken or egg problem. And so from your experience, how are you able to bring into a manufacturing setting with no manufacturing experience beforehand? Kind of not cheating the system, but, you know, it's thinking through the problem, I say. When you see those job opportunities, most manufacturing roles are very specific in what they put in the role description. They are looking for people with very specific skill sets, and they want to see that, you know, you have worked with, whether it's SEM, TEM, Instrom, they want to see that you've worked with this direct piece of equipment. So it's kind of a fit-to-fit match. Unfortunately for me, you know, this position was looking for someone with Instron experience. Fortunately, the summer before my REU was all about using Instrons to synthesize <laughs> nanorods. So, you know, that directly related for me. But you can also pick out in that description small things that you have worked with, you know, want Python experience. Make sure you put somewhere on there that you've done and are good at Python. You know, don't discount those words because to be honest, when those auto filters come on on your resume, if there's 100 people who apply and you don't put the word Python on your resume, you're immediately out. You're not going to get through that screen. And so for these manufacturing positions, find, you know, you've worked with that equipment, even if you haven't directly worked with it, in class was exposed to this. So find a way to contribute that on the resume somewhere. Because once you get past the auto screen, if you have, you know, a personality and a passion for that role in the interview process, you'll shine. So as soon as you get past that, you know, throw out your resume because you don't have the word on it, you're kind of set to go through the rest of the process. So it's a little bit of an insider tip to really read through those roles and don't just mass send them out with any thought. If you're really looking for a job, you need to put that extra thought in, change a word or two, that's all it takes, but it can make a really big difference. That's why I harp, especially in our MSE Academy program, like quality over quantity. And I think it's even one little tip that that I give people is copying that job description into a word map and seeing, you know, what are the biggest words? What what pop up most often? Just make sure that those words are definitely on your resume. But exactly what you said, like reading over the job description and, you know, trying to match like each of your bullet points in your resume or, or that skill set to what is preferred or, or required in, in that job description. So yeah, definitely excellent piece of advice there. And I think also just to add to that, networking also, you know, plays a huge role too, right? Like even you reaching out to that recruiter that, you know, was like, Hey, maybe you're not the best fit like that. That takes guts. Right. And you've learned so much from that. And then, you know, you can even continue to leverage your network to to get those insights and even referrals potentially too. And that makes your internship search a lot easier. Absolutely. Completely agree with all of that. So then I guess I want to pivot to maybe something that our listeners would be super interested in. And you mentioned like Nike as a, as a dream company, right? So can you just talk through what that process was like applying to that company. I know you don't have to get into the interview details, the nitty gritty, but what uh, key insights do you get from obtaining that internship offer? And then we can dive into what that internship was like as well. Yeah. So by the time you get to, you know, your summer of your junior year, you're thinking, I really want to do, you know, the thing that I want to do with my future. I want to start looking at the companies that I really want to work for. 
And having two experiences before that, I kind of said, all right, this is my moment. I'm going to go for it. The dream company I'd always wanted, Nike. So at this point, you've gotten all the experience, you've gotten the jobs, you're putting it on your resume, but now you have no in. You're trying to think, how do you get that first step? How do you get that first toe in the door? You know, Georgia Tech is a company that Nike comes to, but we're not one of their main recruiting sources. You know, we're not close. They are out of Portland, Oregon. We're in Atlanta, Georgia. We're not close. And Nike is a, you know, in essence, they do manufacture products, but they're a big marketing company. A lot of their stuff comes from athlete endorsements and all of that. So a very tech-focused school might not be what they're looking for. So kind of the first step was, you know, find someone who works there and ask the questions. So again, all about networking. You know, look through LinkedIn, find someone, get through your, you know, first level connections, ask around, see if there's, you know, a contact somewhere that you can talk to. Fortunately, my contact came through Georgia Tech working with our capstone program, works with Under Armour and other companies like that. So kind of taking a roundabout road to get into the industry and then that way connect with someone from Nike. So don't be afraid to reach out. You know, it might be awkward that you're asking for a job, but those people were in your shoes once too, asking for the same job. So they'll respect you for going out there and going for what you want. So fortunately, I was able to have that conversation, which helped, you know, through the online resume screen, kind of get my resume into the door, had someone who was kind of looking for it on the other side. So once you get past that screening process, you're kind of into the interviews and every company has their own style. Every company has their own flair. And if you're moving into an interview process, you need to understand that. They will ask you questions about the company and they want you to be knowledgeable. They don't want you to go in there blind, especially if you're going to a career fair. Never ask the company, what do you do? <laughs> that is not a good question you should be asking them. They immediately know you don't care that much about them. You're just here to try and get a job. Can't go into your experiences like that. You need to go in there very purposeful and saying, I want this company for these reasons. So make sure you do your research. And for Nike, that's a big thing. They want to know that you're passionate about them as a brand, them as a company, and you want to work for them specifically. So throughout that whole interview process, that's what you're trying to show. Why are they special? Why are they unique? Especially for someone who didn't have experience in that sports industry really at all. All I had done was, you know, medical device manufacturing and research. How does that contribute to this experience? And in that way, it was all about passion and connecting those experiences to say, I want to work for Nike so it can get me to this point. You know, I've done these experiences in the past. They weren't, you know, my end goal. Nike is, and this is why. So I think getting into that interview process, that was, you know, the mentality you have to have. And I will always say again and again, do your research. These companies are going to ask, you know, they want to ask you directly, what's our manufacturing process for this? But they want to know that you've read the website at least. You know what they're mantra is, you know what clients they serve, know the basics. And that way you'll feel a lot more confident going into that interview. And you can tie those kind of things into your answers. And they'll know that you care. I will always say that. And the other thing, if you really want a specific company, write a cover letter. It is a scary thing and nobody wants to write a cover letter. It takes so long. You have to revise it. But if this is the company for you and that is what you want, write the cover letter. Make it passionate, make it connect all your experiences, say how this company would influence you in the future. I've spent a long time advising people on how to get into Nike and how to do that process. Write the cover letter. Someone who sees you took the time to do that will immediately think highly of your resume. 
So that is also a linking factor for these companies that are huge, going through thousands of applicants every year, that can immediately be something that shows that you care. And so maybe this would be interesting is that product creation intern is a very nebulous term. What did you do on a day-to-day basis and what were you able to link to your previous experiences on like, oh, this is what I can do in the future if you allow me to grow with you as a as a team? Yeah, definitely. So linking to kind of the experience at Carl Stortz where I was working in quality, I knew in my next job, I wanted to move further, I guess they call it up the chain, you know? Quality is kind of the end stage, end of manufacturing before it's going out. I wanted to be more on the R&D side. I wanted to be a little more on the creative side of things, less on the very technical side of things, paperwork heavy. So in that product creation role, I was able to move further up the chain. And that day-to-day role was really interesting because you're that in-between of design and manufacturing. So you're trying to get a vision from someone on on a design side. You're trying to analyze the engineering problems surrounding that design and then make specs and make, you know, discoveries that can make that actually be manufactured. So it was a very interesting role, very nebulous, even in the role itself, because you're trying to connect two different styles of communication. You're trying to connect a design perspective where anything is possible to an engineering perspective where you're limited in this very small box. And I was really thankful for that experience because it started to open me up to, you know, engineering is more creative. In school, we learn here's the right answer, here's the method, here's the derivation that this came from. But in the real world, in real companies, that's not how it works. There is no right answer. There is no one spec that you're supposed to use. So that opportunity was so cool to open my eyes to this is how it's actually done. You know, this is how the sausage gets made and you're a part of that process. So it was a very cool opportunity, got me moving in the direction I wanted to be in, still in engineering work and just a very unique company to be a part of because their products are things you see on people's feet every day. You know, I was able to work on products that I later saw, you know, come out on the market and watch those become things that people bought and wore on their feet. So definitely the idea and what I wanted out of that internship definitely came true. And it was in a space I was really passionate about. And I think it made all the difference for me being exposed to that creativity side and meshing with engineering and seeing that there was more to it than just, you know, paperwork and numbers. And that's a broader world. So I think that was a really big takeaway for me. And I kind of want to get your input on what specifically you pointed to in your previous experiences. Like you mentioned, maybe in my mind, like that quality engineering experience, you can tie that like design for, you know, higher performance, safety, et cetera, ensuring that high quality and point that to, oh, you can bring that earlier upstream into the product development process. But I wanted to hear your specific experiences and how you were able to talk through your experiences and showcase like, oh, this is why I would be like unique and valuable to Nike. I've always said you want to make sure you form the story. And for me, this has been a very big thing through my whole experience because my experiences seem very up and down. They don't seem to connect. But you have to look for what is the job you want next and then work your way backwards. So when you start answering that question, you want to think, you know, what do I want to get out of this role with Nike? Okay, now let me work backwards. What do I have that helps me fulfill that position? So from a quality perspective, you know, I was working in engineering. I got manufacturing experience. So I really leaned into that. I can understand the manufacturing space and where that's coming from. 
a big part that people don't pay attention to in the business world, which is why I've turned to love the business world, is it's all about communication. If you know how to talk to both parties, you are infinitely valuable to anyone. You may not be the person who gets A's in thermodynamics. That may not be you. But if you can communicate between people who have different knowledges and between people who think differently from you, you are infinitely valuable to any company. So specifically for me, I took that as I was working directly on the manufacturing floor with the people who create the technology. I understand how they think. In this role, I will be linking the design to the manufacturing. And therefore, I have that bridge of I'm not a senior engineer who's been doing this for 15 years. You know, I'm not too caught up in that bubble, but I have this, you know, broader perspective that I can understand where they're coming from. And I learned that through my previous experience. So one of the things you should never rule out is even if you don't have that exact technical experience, you're not a CAD designer, you're not, you know, haven't used that software before, but never discount soft skills. They are, for most companies, infinitely more important. They can teach you how to code. They can teach you how to do the calculations, but they cannot teach you how to talk to people and how to, you know, create that environment. So most of the questions I answer in my interviews are based on my soft skills and how I would use that in this role to complete the technical requirements. And so that was kind of how I got into that role. And it's something, you know, if you are not the most technical person, your soft skills can carry you almost infinitely further in your opportunities if you know how to word it right. I think that's a great point. And especially I would just want to reiterate, seeing the entire life cycle of a product from idea and R&D to manufacturing to qualities, it's really important because it gets you in the mindset to catch issues before it gets downstream. And so you having the mindset of, oh, like this is what we look for every time when we look for quality or these are common techniques, you can design around it. And so I think that I've seen my own experiences that being able to see like, oh, this is what it's going to get to. It helps you expedite like yeah, that might work, but it's just going to be rejected at the next step. And so like, if you look at any industry leader, like they're all like, oh, scale up experience or like these large areas and like that's like their title. And so I think just you kind of reemphasizing and expanding that, just being able to see the entire life cycle and be able to communicate along that life cycle is so more important, so much more important than knowing like the exact science of how one single thing works. Yeah, and the earlier upstream you can catch those types of issues, like you're saving a company, especially like Nike, like millions and millions of dollars. So that's just another thing, David, I think you you really emphasized it, but that's another value that you can bring in. You can literally be like, hey, I can bring this unique value just through this like downstream experience. So that's awesome. Yeah, they say everything starts with quality <laughs> and that can start at any point in the chain. So absolutely call out. Well, let's move on to the next experience. Since we've gone to work with you very closely uh, while you've been helping us grow It's a Material World, you started with us as a community manager and then kind of moved into more of a business development type role. And I think that as we've grown and we've tried to focus more on the business side, you've grown with us. We would love to hear your standpoint from that. And that kind of expands further into your next role, which is as EY as a technology consulting intern, which is a lot more business heavy than an R&D or quality engineer. And so could you walk us through that kind of step in your career development? 
Yeah, so this is a really interesting point in my, you know, college career, as I said, you know, I've now worked for my dream company. I've done the job that I thought was my end all be all was my, you know, future job. And for some reason, it just still didn't click with all the parts of what I wanted out of an engineering role. And, you know, that kind of makes you a little lost. You say, you know, I got to what I thought I was going to love and I don't love it. What do I go from here? How do I pivot from, you know, you can do engineering in all these places and even the company I wanted most in the world wasn't it. So now I started to look for, you know, how can I find other experiences that link engineering in a different way to companies? And that's through the business side of things. So to kind of do this in a less commitment-based way, I started to join clubs at Georgia Tech. I joined the undergraduate consulting club. You know, it's a path that a lot of engineers take and combines business with problem solving in a way. So I wanted to see what that was about. So don't discount some of these clubs at your school that can give you an experience without the commitment of spending your summer at an internship. So I started working in those roles, doing quick, you know, one month to three month projects for companies, not companies that were related to my area, not companies that are engineering companies necessarily. Some of them were, some of them weren't, but you can see what that role would look like and how your experience would contribute to that, how the problem solving and the business side combined together. and so. It was very valuable for me to do that because that was where I started to find more passion. The company's great and all of that, but what you're ultimately doing is the work. And if the work is not something that you can see yourself doing on a day-to-day basis, you have to look for what that is. And again, going back to that question, you know, what do you see yourself wearing in five years? What do you see yourself sitting in? You know, I no longer saw myself sitting in a manufacturing plant. I didn't even see myself. I wasn't wearing steel-toed boots. I wasn't wearing khakis. I was, you know, wanted to be kind of wearing a suit, sitting in an office setting, using my communication skills as my major selling point. And as an engineer, that's really hard to internalize because you're like, I've gone to school for four years. I've taken these hard classes and I'm not going to use it. So I think that's a point that I came to that was really hard to overcome. But eventually you realize that is still engineering in its own way. You are still using your technical skills and your problem solving. And I'd seen three, you know, engineering internships before that, you're never going to use thermodynamics. That is never going to be a part (laughs) of your job experience that you are required to know. So all of these classes, although they're not directly related to what you're doing, if you're doing quality product development, they're still not directly related. You still have a lot of things to learn no matter what role you're in. So applying a problem solving skill set to business is still a way to use what you've learned in school in a different application. So finally, once I got that into my head and said, hey, this is something I really want to try, started going after consulting firms, but you're not going to get McKinsey on the first try. You're not going to break into that big world on the first try. You don't have the experience. You're not a business major. You haven't done all that much stuff. But all of my small consulting projects were fortunate enough to get me that I have seen this work. I know how to create a pitch deck. I know how to sell that to a client. All of those little experiences in one month sprints still are relevant experience to get a job. So that fortunately got me through the interview process at EY, allowed me to get an opportunity there, and then on a larger scale, see how business and technology can combine to create this consulting-based world. And you can actively see that does still require some semblance of problem solving. But again, that biggest hurdle is saying that, you know, This is a non-traditional path for engineers, and it is what, you know, I can see myself doing. 
even if it's not, you know, I'm not a product engineer, I'm not a quality engineer, but it still uses that experience. So I think it's a hard stage for a lot of people to get past. (laughs) But after that, I started using it in all segments of my life. Part of the podcast, I wanted to transition and be more of that business world. How do we sell things? How do we talk with companies? And how does that look on a small scale for a small company like us? So starting to expand that into all parts of my life, I could see that there is a lot of problems to be solved. Whether it's a small company, a big company, there are a lot of problems out there. And knowing how to tackle those problems is going to lead you really far, no matter what those problems might be. So that was kind of my realization that a non-traditional path might be better off for me, which was really important in my growth. I love that. And I definitely see like... I've seen the growth you've had from from the business standpoint, just your learnings. And I've really enjoyed just even being able to chat with you about like the business side of things or selling and, and things like that. So I'm excited for, for us to keep doing that. And I'm glad that you're able to kind of get these different experiences, but it seems like they really like mesh together really well. And so I know we've talked a lot about your your very diverse set of of summer experiences from, you know, research to traditional engineering to footwear product creation and and consulting. So maybe can you just summarize what are some of those common threads for why you've been able to so successfully transition one industry to another with uh, your MSE background? Yeah. So engineering itself as a field, STEM, no matter what major you are, whether you're a mechanical, chemical, MSC, you get the same skills. And the first step that's helped me get through all those experiences is to understand what those skills are and be able to talk about them. You know, MSC might not be the most notable major, but we take the same classes as everyone else. Why are we any different? So one, understanding what you do as an MSC and how that adds value to your companies that you want to work for is huge. And that's something you kind of just have to sit down with yourself and say, you know, what have I learned and why does that make me of value to them? And that might be easier for people who are mechanical or chemical engineers, but it's infinitely just as important for materials engineers to do that same exercise. That way, when you go into an interview, you know the things you want to touch on and why you add that value. So one is understanding your major. I think that's infinitely helped me get from opportunity to opportunity and to know the skills that I have, both from my experience and my degree. Second, I think it's all about, I said this before, the soft skills. Never discount those soft skills. Once you get past the resume screen and you have, you know, made it to a first round interview, you get that email saying you made it to an interview. It's all about soft skills from there on. How do you get your interviewer to like you? How do you connect with them? You know, once you get into that interview setting, don't panic. The interviewer, now we're all in this world of Zoom. Interviewer has a dog. Ask them about the dog. (laughs) Ask them, you know, when did they get it? How old is it? You know, have a little bit of that casual conversation. It makes you feel like a real person. It'll calm you down in the interview and your interviewer will say, oh, wow, they're actually a real human. They're not just robotically answering my questions in their one minute pre-prepared answer. Mm-hmm. Also recognize your answers may not be the same for every interview. The interview has to flow. You have to know what points you really want to touch on, but that interview has to flow in some way. And if they ask you an unexpected question, be prepared to pivot, you know, the practicing for that. I know that makes a lot of people nervous. I'm fortunate that communication and public speaking doesn't make me too nervous. For people who it does, just practice that with your friends. Have them ask you questions. Have them, you know, in that casual, someone you're comfortable with setting, 
have them ask you questions about your experiences and have you answer those questions. Practicing it in that setting will help make you feel a lot more comfortable when you get to the interview. And again, those soft skills have helped carry me through each of those opportunities to say, business is all about communication. It's all about people. As much as technology is what you're making and what you're doing, I had this very interesting moment in my interview with EY where, you know, he asked me, he was like, what does business mean to you? And I said, business is people. Take everything else out of the equation. You're talking person to person. You need to make this person know why they want to be part of your company, part of your life. Why do they want to work with you in the future? Why do they want to email you, talk to you? And you can read books and books and books about this and try to, you know, technically analyze that. But you do this every day. The people that you meet on the street, you do this every day. So those soft skills and being able to just transition between your experiences and understand why you want to do that and how you talk to those people, that is business, whether you're in a technical role or a non-technical role. And so I think from that perspective, don't discount that. You might not be the most technical person, but you can win someone over just by making them like you and like your experience. So passion is also part of that as well. If you are into soccer and they're into soccer, talk about that. You know, you want to <laughs> seem like a person. You want to seem like a real human, especially on this world of Zoom and online. And you can't really get that, you know, shake hand connection with someone. But you can really win them over with body language, personal connection, and just acting like a real person in that setting. So that's kind of what's carried me through all those experiences. and. I think it's really important for people to just practice those skills if they're really looking to find what they want to do. And don't be afraid to take that leap on something you have no idea if you're going to like. <laughs> don't be afraid to try it because you'll always have an opportunity to pivot. No job is your end all be all. And that's something that I've come to terms with as well. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Just you really packed a lot in there from like just a professional. It's just like a really fast, quick course on like what to do to get a job and so I think that's incredibly valuable, but maybe something that would be even more interesting to our audiences, if you could go back, you've had such a long journey, what advice would you give yourself for like how to be, I, I know that each step of the way is important and it's framed who you are, but if you could change anything or if there's anything that you could do to be more efficient in each of these steps, what advice would you give to yourself? Yeah, if I could go all the way back to the beginning, I think the thing I would say is network with everyone. It was something I didn't really learn until I was, you know, leaving Nike and decided, you know, if I ever want to go back to this company, I should probably take down these people's contact info and <laughs> check in with them. You know, it didn't hit me until I was leaving that internship. And then I looked back and, you know, I'd had some really great mentors and people who like instructed me before that, but I didn't stay in contact. I didn't, you know, piece together how their role and their job is going to be valuable for me. So if I could go back, I would have told my freshman year self, you know, get the email, the contact info of that professor you worked for at Yale. When they posted that paper and they published their, you know, big paper that you had been working on, send them an email, you know, and say, congratulations, well done. So happy I got to work with you on this. I was never going to be an author on that paper, but still keeping that connection because you never know where a role is going to come from. You never know who is going to be that person who knows someone who knows someone who can get you in. So if I could go back, I would say network with everyone, take their emails, check in with them. If you like a person and they seem like they could be a mentor figure for you, 
try to establish that connection. I don't think I really found a mentor until this year with one of the, you know, the side jobs that I'm working on for a consulting company right now and never realized how important that was and how, you know, building you as a person outside of work is equally as important. And so finding a mentor and networking, I think are things I would have told myself a lot earlier to start to pay attention to. Have your little black book of people laugh about, you know, the Rolodex that people used to have for sale. <laughs> you should have pretty much your own Rolodex of people you've worked for, talked to, that you really enjoyed and keep in contact with them. People love getting email just saying, how are you doing? What's going on? You don't have to want something every time you talk to someone. That's never a good way to create a relationship. But don't just count some of those relationships and how they can help you four, five, 10, 20 years down the line. From, you know, the podcast perspective, we're in an entrepreneurship kind of space. We're creating this from the ground up. And for us, I think we've all realized that, hey, just that one connection you knew four years ago could actually mean something for us now. So if that's also a world you're interested in, that entrepreneurship space, which is something I've gotten into recently um, and might be what I do come January when I graduate, that those connections are so important and one person can make all the difference. So definitely would go back and tell myself that. Absolutely. I think that was that was a lot of great advice. And I, you know, second every every single thing that you said. I think that board of directors too, not just having one mentor, but having multiple for maybe different areas where you want to improve. You know, one can be your workplace, one can be in our case, like entrepreneurship, business, one could be relationships or just having like, doesn't even have to be someone that's older than you. You can have like an intellectual sparring partner as well that you're just constantly growing with and bouncing ideas off of. So um, I think that the power of networking is, is huge because you can start to leverage network effects as well and just continuously learn from so many people. So yeah, I really enjoyed having you on the show. I know we're going to grow. It's a material world and we we're super happy to have have you on the team. And thank you so much for joining us today, Alexa. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, worked in the background for a really long time. So it's really cool to, you know, <laughs> be on this side of the podcast. And again, <laughs> if, you're, if you're part of a company, you want to understand the soup to nuts. You want to know every part of it. So for me, it's been really cool. Thank you for inviting me on today. I was really happy to talk about all this. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, I've done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes as possible. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.